Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Talking about harvest time faith, remember that harvest time faith is literally seeing heaven's offer of a present time harvest. This is your ability to look in the spirit realm and see what God is offering to the earth. And I know that that sounds like a bunch of hocus pocus sometimes, but listen to me. God does this stuff on purpose because he's looking for co-laborers, people who will work together with his plan. And so we want to cooperate with him because we don't know how to do it ourselves. That's why in, in John chapter 16, verse 12, Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you. Aren't you glad that God talks? Listen to me. Now, now listen carefully. Write this down. Your ability to hear God's voice is affected by your willingness to hear other voices. There's so many voices coming at you. So you can listen to regular news and that stuff will come at you. You can listen to what you believe is Christianized news and that stuff will come at you. You can just look with your own eyes and see stuff and it's coming at you. So we don't have a faith problem in the church. We don't have the ability to hear God's voice problem in the church. We have a willingness problem, which, by the way, when I get to teach Sunday school again, we're going to talk about willingness. We have a willingness to listen to all the other voices. That's a big deal. I thought it was a bigger deal than that. I don't know. I I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them literally to pick them up and to carry them forward right this minute. Now, it's an immediacy thing. So what God does with his word is he gives us a sight, heavenly sight orientation so that we will walk into that so that we can then increase our capacity to carry what it represents. See, if if you keep... Bumping into the devil all the time, um, it's probably because you're looking for him. Okay, I thought that'd go over better too. (laughs) I've been in ministry since 1983. This is my 40th year of ministry. And the one consistent thing over 40 years is the number of people that will tell me what the devil is doing. See, (laughs) if you're watching for him, you might run into him. If you're watching for Jesus, you might be able to ignore him. Does that make sense? But you see, when we look up into heaven, we have to get a picture of what God is saying to us so that we can begin to walk into it. Listen. God always settles things inside before they show themselves outside. Right? I remember, I just thought because I was such a great pastor that people would just kick the doors down to come to church. And I had to settle something on the inside of me from 1983 until now. It's pretty well settled now that I still don't know what I'm doing. I had to settle that. If you're coming to church for me, boy, what a mistake that is. Because I'm not the smartest person in this world, even if we don't count God. 
I mean, some of you people are brilliant. I'm not. The nice thing about the bottom 50% of the class is it makes the top 50% happen. (laughs) The nice thing about being in the bottom 50% of the class is that if you want to be smart, you're going to have to trust somebody beside yourself. I don't trust me. You shouldn't either. See, don't trust my intellect. Don't go, oh yeah, pastor, he always just teaches from the word. Put your finger on the book. Boom, here it is. And then you live there. Because when he gives you that, he'll encourage you to walk into. See, God uses the invisible to convince you that it will soon be visible. God uses the invisible to convince you that it'll soon be visible. He needs you to walk into the invisible until you're in the middle of it and then it will be visible. If you have health problems, if you have marriage problems, if you have financial problems, if you just got a problem with me, walk into that seeing the invisible because when you get there, you will have walked into the visible. That's how God does things. You gotta, you gotta really process this because I'm telling you, the world is listening to every voice and almost exclusively ignoring what God says. He says, somebody once said that there are 365 times where the Bible says, fear not. I don't know whether that's true or not. But it would be just like God to give you one fear not for every day you're awake. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You've got to get that inside yourself or what you'll do is when you're walking into the invisible, you'll feel like you're alone. When you're walking into the invisible, you'll feel like you're alone. But there is a cloud of witnesses. There is Jesus himself who is cheering you on. So we can't always carry what God wants to show us, what Jesus wants to show us, but he is giving us opportunities for increase. In fact, opportunities for increase in capacity happen when life is inconvenient. Now, up to this point, 10 messages in, I've never defined for you inconvenient. I love this. You know, when you find a definition for a word that you have to look up the definition, that's kind of deep. So I looked up now... I use Webster's 1828 Dictionary. It's available online if you don't know that. And, and that's back when the people with brains used the Bible to explain what words mean. Because the guy who spoke the Bible, smarter than everybody. Inconvenient. The first word is incommodious. That clears it up. How many of you read God's word and think you're stupider afterwards? Like, what? See, that's your intellect trying to understand that. But it'll make perfect sense in your spirit, man, to walk into the invisible. And if you'll walk into the invisible, by the time you get done with your stroll with God, what you walk into will be visible. It's awesome. It means unsuitable. It means disadvantageous. 
It means not easy. Now, couldn't they have said that first? Inconvenient means not easy. And we go through some stuff in life and it's not easy. But here's the one I really like. Man, old Webster, he was a smart dude because he came up with scriptural evidence to these kinds of things. And this was the last one. It says, increasing the natural difficulties of success or progress. Yeah, that's what inconvenience does. Why? Because we put our eyes on the inconvenient. We watch think, well, I don't like going through this. No one does. It's not easy. Amen. But what's God trying to show us? He's trying to show us that I'll increase your capacity to, to walk with these things. So I showed you the three things last week, over the last couple of weeks. Offenses and unforgiveness. You have to deal with that or life will always be inconvenient. You'll just carry that garbage around. You have to learn how to believe beyond human reason. There's so many. Don't preach it. Just you understand. And the third one was you have to embrace the joy, despise the shame, and sit down. See, most of us, we're so busy on the inside that when we sit down, we're still busy. Because we haven't embraced the joy, we haven't despised the shame, but we decided to sit down because we're tired. But our insides are spinning so fast that we don't enter into the rest. It's not about what you do, it's about how you do it. It's not about what you do, it's about how you do it. If your insides never slow down, you have a truth problem. It's not a devil problem. He's not keeping you stirred up. Okay, he just presents you with opportunities that you choose. Amen. So over the next three weeks, we're going to begin to see ourselves. That next quote, please, Jeremy. We're going to begin to see ourselves sitting with Jesus so that we can see his harvest for him, for us, for me. Okay. Now, to do that, I've got to tell you the three or four basic things that are in the way. Okay? So here's the title of the sermon today. Distractions, deceptions, and detours. These are the three things that happen in all of our lives. You are not immune to this in getting distracted. Some of you, while I'm preaching, will get distracted. There's always a cute baby... There's always a husband or wife elbowing home a point. You know, you know he needs it or she needs it. There's always heads together. You should stand up here. You should all come up here and watch when I preach. (laughs) You people are funny. There's distractions. Because even in God, he will use truth to distract you from what you're going through. You'll actually laugh about it on Sunday in church going, yep, that's exactly what's happening in our life. And the pastor's talking and you're laughing about it on Sunday. On Tuesday, you're ready to kill each other. Because now the distraction is a person. That woman you gave me. That man in my life. Those people I work with. That church I go to. That person in that car. Everybody you walk by is dealing with a problem that you know nothing about. 
and have no grace to help unless you trust God. Quit telling people how they should live. That won't work. Well, you know, you just got to get this. If that worked, it'd be better in our lives, wouldn't it? Amen. Amen. So we're going to see ourselves. Here's distraction. Webster again. Love that man. His name was Noah. 1828 dictionary. Go look it up. Here's distraction. The first thing that comes to us is distraction. I'm going to tell you why, and then I'll give you the def- Oh, you got it up there. You can just, you just read it while I talk. Distraction is always sight-related. Always. So it has everything to do with what you choose to put your eyes on. We went this week. I don't see Roger. Is Roger Moore not here? She's not. Oh, well, I'll tell a story about him. Roger and Teresa and Tracy and I went to pick up kids. We send welcome goodie packets to our kids that go to school the first year. So right around this time, they get a big box of goodies from us. And the teenagers are all write notes. Say, hey, we miss you. You know, hope school's going good. Whatever they say, you know. And then we send that off. So we went to do that, to buy the, the goodies. And I'd li- I want to just say right now, I'd like to go to college next year. Okay. But here's the deal. The girls didn't want us, Roger and I, to go into the stores with them. So they said, just drop us off and you guys go down to the coffee shop and have coffee. So we walked in there and right there at the point of sale place was a whole glass case full of stuff that looked like if I could get to it, I'd... I'd lick every one of them. Oh, it was so good looking. That's distraction. That's distraction. See, there are times in our life where what we see either looks so good to us or so intriguing or enticing to us. Right? Listen to me. If you decorate a cow pie with the best frosting in the world... It's still a cow pie, but it's pretty. It entices you to look at it, right? It entices you to look at it. Now, let me, let me see if you get this. If you've ever ordered a cake from one of those places that does cakes, and they've put the wrong name on it, spelled it wrong, or ran out of space, and the S runs uphill or whatever, okay? You look at that, and you say, because of how it looks... You don't want to buy it. Right? How it looks. You don't want to buy it. That's what I'm talking about. That enticement, that, 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 that distraction that comes from how something looks. Now, in a negative world, we look at those things and we say, oh, we can't believe that's happening. Listen to me. Sinners are going to sin. Evil is going to be evil. Evil people do evil things. You say, well, aren't you praying for them? Yes, I'm praying that God will get them saved. Because what they're doing goes against the moral compass of a God follower. Notice I didn't say God just kill them. I used to say that. That was a better idea, right? I was distracted. Now notice if you would, please. Let me just, let's just take you through this. Distractions. Confusion from a multiplicity of objects 
asking for attention. Now, you may not realize this, but the, the sticky bun that I ended up ordering, one for me and one for Roger, the sticky bun was calling my name. It was asking for my attention. In less than 20 minutes, some of you will sneak a look at your watch because it's begun to speak to you through its constant monitoring of time. And you'll get close and you'll say, well, man, he's been talking a long time. I'm hungry. There's a multiplicity of things, objects, asking for attention. That's distraction. So here's what happens. Turn with me, if you will, please, to Matthew chapter 16, and let's look at this. I'm going to give you four distractions. I'm going to do it quickly, according to my definition, and I use God's definitions, who said Jesus would return soon. So here we go. Matthew chapter 16. Notice, if you would, in verse 13 and following. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? This is a primary distracting question that the devil can ask. You know, did God really say this? Is Jesus who he really says he is? Can you trust him? Distractions oftentimes come in the form of deceptive language, which we'll talk about next week. No, we won't. Week after. Notice it then says, some say John the Baptist and Elijah... Then he said to them, who do you say that I am? This is the most primary question for you to keep your distraction at a minimum. Function from who you know Jesus is. See, Jesus doesn't offer you temptations. He offers you an escape from temptation. Temptation is not sin. But Jesus offers you a temptation or offers you a solution to your temptation so that you don't walk through the temptation into the enticement, into the birthing or the conceiving of sin and into death. See, he offers that. It's a distraction that gets us there. Notice he says then, who do you say I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now notice this. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. They did not get their heads together and come up with a consensus that said, If Jesus ever asks us this question, let's say this is our answer. This is not humanly possible to come up with this. Simon Peter, potentially, walked into what was the invisible nature of the Savior who was standing right before them, fully man. He says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the promised one. He walked into the invisible part of that until it became real. And notice what Jesus did. He gave him a revelation based on that. Okay, I see now you all look at me going, he did what? When you walk into the invisible nature of God in your future, God will take the cover off of stuff that you need. He'll give you a revelation. You say, well, Jesus is my God. Okay, that's great. Congratulations. But Jesus is calling us, calling me, calling this church into this invisible thing. You guys are the most arrogant people on the planet to think that a little church in the middle of nowhere can make a tremendous impact 
in the nation of Israel. But when you walk into the invisible, you'll meet the visible. So we walk along going, God, is this what you're saying? We're not sure exactly, right? I mean, you know, sometimes God seems complicated. And so we're walking into those things, trying to get it. And the longer we walk, the more visible it becomes. He takes the cover off. He gives us a revelation. Notice he says this. You didn't get this in flesh and blood, but my father who is in heaven. What did Simon Peter do? He did what the, the gospel account in Luke and in other places. He said, lift up your eyes and see into heaven the harvest that the father is offering. Now, let me, let me, let me, let me break the news to you. Are you ready? The harvest that the father was offering at the point that Peter got it does not yet exist in Peter's time. Put the next verse up there, please. It's 18. He said, blessed are you. And I also say to you that you are Peter. This is a trick on words. You're a small pebble. But upon the, the boulder of the revelation of Jesus being the Messiah, I will build my church. The church did not exist. God took the covers off of a revelation that the disciples walked into by following the invisible. They were not distracted. See, you'll be distracted by things that are visible. Come on. You live in rural America. How many of you wives, I want to show a hand, how many of you wives riding with your husbands have to remind them not to gawk? Come on, both hands. I mean, they're looking at the fields. They're looking at the new grain bins. They're weaving all over the road. What just happened? They got distracted by what exists. Now, I know there's a risk in what I'm about to say. How many of you men have noticed... That that wife you have occasionally veers into the lane of emotions really quickly. And they're having a full-blown emotional moment. In fact, it may come with a gasp. Now, if you are a, a gawker and the person with you gasps, you think you're going to hit something. But the person with you is just entering into an emotional moment that doesn't exactly exist in the car. They're, they're distracted by, oh, did I remember to shut the coffee pot off? Well, I don't know. I wasn't even thinking about the coffee pot. I was thinking about the green bin, <laughs> the cows, the whatever. My point is that, that as humans, we are masterfully wired to notice everything. Maybe you've seen that little thing they do with college students. And they'll put them watching a video and they'll say, before the video, they'll say, hey, you know, uh, 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 count how many red things are in the picture or, or how many people are playing basketball. And then they'll ask a question that is completely unrelated to that. When I was in college, it was, there was these, they had this little thing that they showed, this little video that they showed. And, and to show how psychologically our brain works, they said, well, count the number of basketball players. 
And then they would say, what color was the gorilla's hair? What gorilla? There was a gorilla in the video, on the one I had, there was a gorilla in the video with yellow hair. But I was so captivated by counting how many people were playing basketball that I did not see the person in the gorilla suit. We're masterfully wired to notice things. So we have to use that mastery of wiring to notice what God has for us. Are you ready? He showed Peter, said it out loud in front of everybody, that something was coming. And the thing that was coming, that the devil himself, the gates of hell, could not prevail. He, the, the, the gates of hell would not understand it, nor comprehend it, nor have victory over it. He, he showed them that there was something that was coming. So here's your distraction. It isn't here yet in their day. And so we look at that and go, well... That must not have been right. It isn't happening. But what had to happen in between this revelation and the revelation of the church? Jesus had to be crucified. Jesus had to be buried. Jesus had to resurrect. Jesus had to ascend. The Holy Spirit needed to fall. And the church needed to be based on all of that. See, they had to walk into the invisible. To see the natural. To get the results of what happened in the natural. Notice there's only one spiritual result there. The church is a physical thing that God did. The spiritual result is that the gates of hell shall not prevail. So the greatest distraction that you will ever face is the distraction of failure. The distraction of failure. What if this doesn't work? I mean, I'm telling you, the disciples, they walked with Jesus for three years. And they were just moseying along. What if this doesn't work? He said, the gates of hell will not prevail. At the end of time, the church will exist and the devil will still be defeated. Don't buy into that destructive stuff. That's the thing. So worldly favor. Matthew chapter 14, just two chapters back. I'll have to hurry. Notice then in the 29th verse, I'm just going to give you the... Did I have a quote that I didn't put up? Jesus declares the unseen and unknown of God will not be hindered by the plans of Satan. You see, yeah, that, that stands on its own. Just keep putting those things up even though I skip them, Jeremy, because they're real good. It's just that I got, I got distracted. <laughs> Somebody put a clock up back there. It keeps talking to me. In fact, sooner or later... The screen will talk to me. Notice it says then in verse 28, it says, 20, can I just take my time? Can, can, you, can you imagine seeing something you don't understand walking to you on the water and asking it for information or advice? I mean, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. Who does that? Who does? That's the craziest thing in the world. Because you already thought it was a ghost. I mean, what if he says, yeah, come, and he's just the devil himself, and he's just snickering, laughing, because you're dead. You're going to drown. Somehow, 
You have to walk into the invisible with a level of confidence. Now, notice what happened. He said, come, and Peter, come down out of the boat. One version says Peter let himself down out of the boat. It literally means, and by the way, all of you can do this. This is not spiritual. This is the physical side of things. This is the natural side. Each one of you can let yourself down out of the boat. But not a single one of you can walk on the water without Jesus. But you can get out of the boat all by yourself. Notice he didn't say, well, if that's you, Jesus, translate me through the air, over the water to you. That would have been cool. That isn't what he said. And he said, come. And based on that invisible power in that word, Peter let himself down out of the boat. Now, I can just imagine he's holding on to the edge of that boat, touching the water to see if it's firm. Finally, he lets go. By the way, he had to be facing away from Jesus to do this. Come on, you can't do it like this, right? He was doing it like this. So he let himself down, looking at the boat and testing the water. And immediately upon standing on the water, he turned around and looked at Jesus. And then the Bible says, next verse, please. Then the Bible says, when he, what? All distractions are sight related. If the wind is blowing or not, it has nothing to do with whether or not you can walk on the water. I mean, it has zero to do with that. So he was distracted by what he saw, and it produced a result. Do you see that? When he saw that the wind was boisterous, what a great way to say it is really blowing. He was what? Afraid. Sight brings fear. Natural sight brings fear. Go to your cupboard. When the end of the month, see how many beans and weenies you got there. And if you don't think you have enough, see what happens on the inside of you. Your sight, your natural sight will produce fear. Your spiritual sight will produce crazy faith. When Joshua and Caleb said, let's go into the promised land, we're well able. They're the only two guys who said that. They wandered around for 40 years and the only two guys that were left were Joshua and Caleb. Caleb was 85 years old. And he asked. All the other land was distributed. But Caleb asked for the land, the mountainous land, at 85 because of his strength. And that was the toughest land. That's where all the tough people lived. And that 85 year I mean, this is nuts. The 85-year-old guy says, give me the toughest place because I still believe we're well able. Right? So, so it, does, well, it causes crazy faith. This ability to look into the, into the invisible and go, yep, that's what's going to happen. Here we go. He spent 40 years getting ready to display the faith that lived in him 40 years previous. It's awesome. It's awesome. He got out of the boat, walked on the water. <clears throat> Here's your quote. When he saw, distractions are sight related. Eyes off of one thing and onto the options. That's what happens. Here's the third one. Luke chapter 9. Are you ready? Say amen if you get there. 9. Luke 9. This is just one scripture. So the second one is natural sight informed by natural knowledge. How many of you know that you are not able to walk on water by yourself? 
Natural information tells you if you fill your bathtub up in a perfectly still home where the wind isn't blowing, you still cannot walk on the water. <clears throat> you cannot walk on the water without God's help, period. It's not possible. So when natural knowledge comes in there, you say, well, of course you can't walk on the, the water. Have you ever been in a boat when somebody gets out? Your natural tendency is to move away from the side that they're rocking the boat to get out. Okay. You're in the boat with Peter. Peter starts to get out. And when he gets out, he's climbing over the edge. He's rocking the boat you're in. Your natural tendency will be to move away from the area of rocking. Your natural tendency, your natural knowledge will move you away from the invited miracle. <laughs> you move away from it. Because see, when you get out of the boat, when Tracy and I got out of the boat of healing, people looked at us like we were crazy because we, we rocked their boat. When I tell the story of my son poking the hanger in his eye, he comes out of his room with a hanger in his eyeball. And I said, what are we going to do here? And God says, just pull it out. That's not smart. I don't know what is smart, but that wasn't it. And so I put my hand over there and I pulled that out and said, in Jesus' name. And that's all it was. And looked at him. He's fine. I went, huh. I think there would have been medical people would have said, carefully tape that to his head and bring him to the emergency room. And then they'd call in a specialist. And three weeks later, you know, we'd have had 17 surgeries and who knows what else. But at God's word, you pull it out of the eye. And look at it and go, well, I didn't know what was going to happen, but that was a pretty good idea. Because you walked into the invisible to see it become visible. I hope you're getting this. So the, the second one is, the, or the third one is in Luke chapter 9. Notice if you would, please, just the last verse of the chapter. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back. Now stop with me for just a second. Jesus had called somebody to come follow him. And the guy said, let me go bury, let me go deal with my family stuff. And then Jesus said this. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, 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 now get this. He was asking him to leave all the plowing behind. But he used a plowing metaphor to explain how useless he would be without following Jesus. Okay? You understand that what God was calling him to do was to plow the fallow ground of his own heart. No one having set his hand to the plow. He already had his hand to the plow. He already was doing the family thing. He already had that there. But Jesus said no one having his hand set and looks back. And literally it means to look back with longing. What am I leaving behind? Then he says this, is fit. And, and, and one of the most uh, interesting ways to, to translate that is usefulness. No one having looked back is useful or as useful as they would be under God's design in the kingdom of God. So here's what happens. The enemy will cause us to magnify our historical past, our experiences, and the emotion of longing. Let me show you how this works in just a real casual way. If you've been in church very long, you've been through some arguments. The arguments about the organ. The arguments about guitars. The arguments about tambourines, cymbals, flags. 
taking laps. Drums, dear God, the devil showed up on that day. You've been all... How about the argument that took place over hymns or not hymns? Was it all there? Let me ask you a question. If your grandchildren or great-grandchildren, depending upon your age, would only come to the church if the music was more fit for them than for you, would you change your music? You would. See, we can sit here and say, well, it's all about me, Jesus. There's no one but me. Or we can make it about others. When we make decisions based on other people. But what the enemy will do and what we will do is we will long for the past. We'll say, oh, it was so... How many ever ever complained about your church changed when it grew? Not the same church anymore. Yep. And you were praying for growth, right? Yeah, I was. And then God brought you some crazy folks. People who weren't like you. People who needed help. People who needed a strong word. People who needed to be loved. Amen? The third distraction is the offer of past experiences and longings. Man, we just don't do things that way at New Life. You ever heard that in the church? We just don't do it that way. Okay. You can try. But what happens is we get so captivated by our experience that we actually believe our experience, which is known and seeable, is better than the unknown invisible. And we don't walk into the invisible anymore. What if God, what if God wanted to make a significant difference through a bunch of people who have no worldly intent to be noticed, just want to be used of Him? What if God made a huge splash in the pool of salvation all over the world. That'd be awesome. Here, let me give you the last one. Matthew chapter 6. You can see this one. It's very easy. (laughs) This is probably the one that is the easiest for us to see and the hardest one for us to deal with. And that's the distracted living. Distracted living. You see, we we all get burdened down with the things that we need. And they are real needs. I'm not, I'm not minimizing that. They're real needs. But, but we get burdened down by them because we actually don't believe or trust that God will provide for those. So we don't walk into the invisible of his provision until it becomes visible. Now, along that pathway, especially in dealing with life, you may be called by God to do things that stretch you. You may have to make a significant kind of sacrificial offering that stretch you so that God can use those things to build the visible. So you're walking in the invisible. Doesn't make any sense to give so that you can have, you know, things, right? And I don't mean to tell you you should give to get, but sometimes God will call you those things and he'll pave the road with your sacrifice. Sometimes God will, will crucify your heart in an area and he'll fertilize the soul, the soil of your heart by the crucified death of your soul. He'll actually make your soul soil, soul, soil better by the death and decaying of worldly and natural things, spiritually. So for an example, here's some simple ones. When you quit submitting to addictive type behaviors, God will take the death of that 
and turn the addiction that you had into the addiction of him. And he'll fertilize the ground with the decaying of your soul to bring this to pass. Are you tracking? So see, distracted living, it's the easiest one for us to recognize. But we don't recognize that when God crucifies something in our life, he literally takes that thing and he fertilizes the ground of the invisible so that you can walk forward creating the visible. I may have to listen to this again. I think that's pretty good. Are you tracking with me? Distraction number four is distracted living. And when I get to talking about deception, this is the big one. Because we're deceived into caring for ourselves. Because if we don't care for ourselves, who else will? Thank you. God does. Cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. Right? But we don't do that. We get deceived. when You know, I got to look out for myself because, you know, that's just how it works. No, that's not how it works. That's what you can see. Here's your four things. Are you ready? Worldly favor. Come on, music team. Would you move, please? Worldly favor. Failure. Natural sight informed by natural knowledge. The offer of past experiences and distracted living. These are the four types, main types of distracted living, the distracted things that I can see biblically. God puts these things in the Bible and he says, listen, this will derail you. If you're not careful. Now in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about deception. Deception is always verbal. Always verbal. And then we're going to talk about detours. Detours are always physical. They cause you to turn and go another direction. They're always physical. They're always fleshly detours. Okay? Distraction, sight related. Deception, verbal related. Detours, actions, or, or, or flesh-related. I think you'll be blessed by them. And they will help you see how to walk into the invisible to create what God has promised that you can't yet see, but you know it exists. Amen. Stand with me, would you please? Forgive me if you need to. I went over. I want to give you an opportunity today to just respond. You say, oh, that was a lot, Pastor. Yep. Respond like you had a good meal. Lift your hands to the Lord and say, thank you, Lord. Now help me process that. Help me remember that great meal that I had. Just begin to submit to him and recognize, Father, you are worthy of praise. And I know that you just unloaded a treasure trove of gold and precious stones for us to build with. Help us, Lord God, that we can build with gold and silver and precious stones rather than wood, hay, and stubble. Help us, Father God, to build upon the foundation, the ever-increasing foundation of Jesus Christ. That we can see, Father God, that, that once the foundation is built, the builders come in and build the walls. Put the windows in so we can see in the right direction. Put the doors in so we can come in and come out, Father. All this stuff happens spiritually. So, Father, we thank you that we are your builders. Building upon the foundation that no man can lay the foundation of Jesus Christ. So we walk on Him towards the invisible building of the church, of the promises that You gave to us. We walk in the invisible to see what is becoming visible. Father, thank You for that today. I just pray for each of these people here today. I ask, Father God, that as they respond in their heart, that You would continue to enrich and enliven the words of God inside of them. And we thank you, Father, for that today in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.